It is Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. That means um, Falcons fans. Are you in the room? Do we got any Falcons fans? Got some here? I would ask if there are any Patriots fans, but I don't want you to sin during church. So, not going to ask. Not going to ask at all. Um, everybody always gets excited. Super Bowl Sunday. In fact, um, I saw this online. I think church should be just as exciting as Super Bowl Sunday. And so, uh, anytime during the service, if, if something happens and if I say something that really, really uh, motivates you, uh, we have some Gatorade buckets that are specifically placed, strategically placed around the auditorium and you feel, you feel free. You know, I debated about saying that because I thought, you know, somebody might actually take me up on that. I could see Aaron Mercer, I could see you jumping up and doing that, right? Hey, um... About 10.30 tonight, you're going to hear all kinds of, of just uh, screams of joy, and, and it's not going to be from uh, either Falcons fans or Patriots fans. It's going to be from all the wives celebrating because football season is finally over. Can I get an amen from the ladies out there, right? I tell you. It has been a long season. It is finally coming to an end. Some of you will receive your husbands back again come tomorrow morning. And I know that you are, I know that you're thankful, thankful for that. Hey, enjoy the game tonight, everybody. I hope that you will uh, enjoy that. And as Sean said, if you're going to be having people over uh, to your home, use that as an opportunity uh, for outreach for the kingdom as well. And always take advantage of the things that go on in our culture as a means to be able to uh, speak Jesus in the lives of people. So invite others over to your house and get them to share in the great, um, great experience. Should be a lot of uh, fun for everybody and hope you enjoy, enjoy all that um, tonight. Um, I thought I would uh, get started back this morning with kind of where we ended up last, kind of last week. Uh, we started this idea of a love worth giving, and we were looking at it in the context of when you've experienced love, you give, you give love. And one of the places that we ended up was by talking about a passage of Scripture in your New Testaments from the book of 1 John. It's 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, and it says this, God showed how much He loved us by sending His only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. It is not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, a lot of times preachers like me will stand up and say, listen guys, we need to be more loving. Patriots fans need to love Falcons fans. Falcons fans need to love Patriots fans. We got to show the love. And we say that, but we don't always talk about how that is actually possible. And so that's why I wanted to start back here with these words from John, because what he's about to say all depends on what he has already said. You see, he pours into your love bank this particular information. This idea that real love is God's love. Real love is what God demonstrated through Christ. And if you've experienced that love, and if you know what that love is, then here's what he says in verse 11. Since God loved us, and then he puts that much, 
Because it's not just a, a little bitty love. He's saying, listen, he sacrificed himself. And since he loves us that much, we surely ought to love each other. See, that's how you're able to love the other team. Or maybe more specifically, that's how you're able to love your spouse, even when they do things that you don't like. That's how you're able to love someone who voted for a different candidate than you voted for. It's because God loved you this much. And if God loved you this much, then can't you love somebody else? Shouldn't you love somebody else? This is the point that's being made. The secret to loving is living loved. If you want to understand how to have more love in your life, the first thing you have to do is receive love into your life. Receive the love that God offers. The love that God pours out. The love that is found in Jesus Christ. Understanding how much God loves, then we are able to put that love then in different areas of our life and begin to impact others that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. The secret of living loved or giving love is, is living loved. Now, I want us to put this idea to the test over the next few weeks. We're going to walk through the Mount Everest, the Super Bowl of love passages. Anybody want to guess what that is? What do you think? You don't know your Bibles, do you? No? Mm -mm. I know all you thought, oh, I know my Bible. No. 1 Corinthians 13. You heard of that, right? 1 Corinthians 13, often called the um, greatest passage of Scripture, is put right up there with Psalm 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love passage where Paul He's writing to Christians, and he's saying, this is what love is. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through this particular passage, and we're going to see how love manifests itself. And we're going to talk about how it should be manifesting itself in our life and in, in the lives of this church, in the way in which we, we treat other people. I know the Valentine's party is coming up here next week, and it's going to be a great time, and there's going to be jazz. Is that what you said, Sean? There's going to be jazz. That, that's going to be pretty cool. I mean, that, I, that's going to be, I mean, you talk about a romantic evening, right? I mean, tell your loved one, hey, listen, we've got jazz. We've got jazz. And you're going to bring them, and you're going to get your picture made, and you're going to have a great meal, and it's all going to be great. But understand, the love that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, it's better than jazz. It, it's better than the Valentine party. It's not this Twitter-pated love. It's not this little Bambi love. It, it's not this doe-eyed love where your, your heart just goes pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. It's something else entirely. It's deeper and it's more involved. And we're going to be walking through this and see if we can understand how we can live and give love. Sometimes in the past when I've gone through this passage, I've talked to people about, hey, why don't you put your name in here? Take out love everywhere and, and just put your name. And then I stopped doing that because I realized I made people out to be liars right here in church, right? I mean, think about it. If I was to put my name here, Chris is patient. And all of a sudden, Tanya stands up and says, whoa, wait a minute. Hang on. 
I mean, I can't even get to the kind part, and I'm trying to hurry up and get there. I want to get to that part. Chris is kind, but my wife won't let me get past the patient part because I'm lying when I say that. And so in the past, I've said, all right, we're going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And go ahead, take out love, put in your name there, and see how that fits. And a lot of you sat there before probably went, mm, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable putting my name in there. Tell you what does feel comfortable. You put God's name in there. That feels comfortable. God is patient. God is kind. It's, it's comfortable to put the name of God. It's, it's comfortable to put the name Jesus in there. And as we go through this study, I I don't want this to remind you of some level of love that you cannot obtain. Instead, I want you to be reminded of a love that you cannot resist. I want you to be reminded of a love that calls out to you, that beckons you, that says this is the ultimate picture, and you can experience it, and yes, you can also live it. Psalm 133 and verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So let's start at the top. Love is what? Patient. Love is patient. It's interesting that Paul puts this at the very beginning. Before he ever gets to the kindness or how love does not envy, he says, listen, this is what love is. The Greek word that he uses is a descriptive one. It's, it's figurative in its meaning, and it, it just talks about taking a long time to boil. It's the idea that, that your water is not going to start bubbling. It's, it's the idea that you're going to slow your roll, all right? That that's the kind of life that you're going to live. And think about it for a minute. What is it that factors in the speed at which water will boil? Is it the water itself? Is it the pot that it's placed in, or is it the intensity of the flame that's underneath it? What's being said here is that patience keeps the burner down. It keeps the burner down. It keeps the flame low. It, it waits. It, it listens. It's, it's slow to boil. This is how God treats us, and according to Jesus, it's how we're expected to treat each other. And so he tells a parable. And he talks about a king who decided to settle an account with all of his debtors. And the accountant goes and looks through the list and finds an individual that owes not hundreds, that knows not thousands, but millions of dollars to the king. And the individual is brought before his master. And it says in Matthew chapter 18, beginning there in verse 26, that he falls down before the king and he begs him. And he says, oh, sir, I want you to be patient with me. He says, if you're patient with me, then I'm going to pay you back everything. And so the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and he let it go. Now the word patience makes a surprise appearance here because you don't expect it to show up in the passage, right? You don't expect a man to ask for patience. You expect him to ask perhaps for forgiveness. Forgive the debt. You expect him to throw himself on the mercy of the court. But he asked for patience. 
Equally curious about the fact that this word shows up in this particular parable is the fact that the only time Jesus speaks of patience is in this story right here. It's the only time he uses it. It's almost like God pulling out his highlighter and saying, listen, I want you to focus in because you're not going to get this very much. And so I want you to see this important illustration. And so the man asked for patience. He said, well, why? Why would he ask for the king to slow his roll? Why would he ask for the burner to be turned down? Perhaps it's this. Maybe patience is more than just a virtue for waiting in long lines and for dealing with with slow waiters. Perhaps patience is the doorway through which mercy walks. Maybe in order for, for mercy to be shared, maybe for forgiveness to be granted, first patience has to make an appearance. There has to be patience where the king says, you know what, I, I'm not going to become too angry. I'm not going to let my, my, my fire boil up within me. I'm not going to lose control with this gentleman. Instead, I'm going to behave in a totally different way. And so he says, please, please be patient with me. Slow down on your judgment. Hear what I have to say. Listen to me. And so he receives the patience that he asked for. The king slows his pronouncement. He offers mercy. He grants forgiveness. And so the first thing that this man does then is leave the courthouse, go back to the suburbs, and he finds somebody that owes him money. Now, as you're listening to Jesus tell the story, you're kind of trying to get ahead of Jesus, right? You're thinking, well, this makes sense. He has been forgiven, and now he is going to go and find somebody else, and he's going to forgive also, right? Look at verse 28. The man leaves the king, went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat, demanded instant payment, and his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. And he says, be patient with me. Be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. Slow your roll. Turn down the burner. Don't be so upset. Let me go. And so you wait for the response. You wait for the man to to realize the error of his ways. You wait for him to understand, wait a minute, I'm acting totally opposite of the way that I should. I've just been forgiven a great debt. I should forgive this little debt here. What I have been given, what I have received, I should also offer to someone else. That's what you're waiting on. That's what you want to have happen. But he has the man arrested and jailed and tortured until he can pay it back in full. So why doesn't it happen the way that we want it to happen? Because Jesus isn't about making you feel better about yourself. That's not the job that he is in. Jesus is about offering truth. And the truth is, you and I act in the same way as the servant. 
We, ask in this, we act in the same way as the man who said, please be patient and receives forgiveness and then rushes out and finds someone else and demands repayment immediately. Sure we do. Think about the conversations that you had with your kids this morning on the way here to church. I've talked with kids before at uh, school and Sometimes I'm there at Boy Buchanan teaching, and I'll ask the kids, tell me about their morning. I said, how many of you guys had conflict this morning on the way to school? And it never fails that in each class that I ask, over, over half the hands come up. And there was an argument that took place between a child and mom, or a child and dad, or there was an fight that broke out between siblings and argument and argument and these kids then get out of the car and they walk into the classroom. Why do we act this way? Why do we receive from God mercy and forgiveness and then turn on our own family and demand instant repayment for ways in which we think we've been wronged? Look at the way churches treat one another. Look at the way church members respond to each other. And how there are times when families worship together and, and pray together and, and sing together and, and then something is said or something is done and now I can't be with you anymore. I need you to forgive me. I want you to be patient with me. I'm struggling. I'm trying. Nope, we can't have you here anymore. I can't be with you anymore and worship. Think about the way that we treat our fellow citizens. Someone aligns with one party or another and all of a sudden all bets are off because how can you be so calloused? How can you be so ungodly? How can you back him or her or them or they? See, Jesus is all about truth. And so he presents this story the way that it often happens in our own life. The story continues. The king, when he finds out, is stunned. How could this man whom he had given mercy be so impatient? How dare the man be so impatient? I mean, the ink was barely dry on his bill that said canceled, and now he's out doing this? You would think that a person who had been forgiven so much would love so much. But he didn't. So look at Matthew 18, verse 32. You evil servant. This is the message of the king speaking as Jesus talks in this parable about God. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every single penny. You see, the king's patience made no difference in the man's life. It was a get-out-of-jail-free card. It was a, a test that he hadn't studied for that was postponed. And he didn't look at it as being something that was important. It wasn't something that held value to him. And though because of that, he didn't share it. You see, the, the proof of our patience, the proof of our patience is that patience deeply received results in patience freely offered. And so if you find patience hard to give, you might ask yourself a hard question. How filled are you with the patience of God? You've heard about it. You've read about it. 
And maybe you've even gone and underlined passages in your Bible about how God is patient. But have you actually received it? Patience never received leads to an abundance of problems and not to the least of which for this gentleman was prison. And you think, man, I'm glad this is just a parable. And I'm glad that God doesn't cast me into prison each time I am impatient. Don't be so quick to think so. Have you ever known individuals who are imprisoned in self-absorption? Ever known that lady, that man who was imprisoned in the walls of ingratitude? Unable to recognize the blessings in their life? Unable to see how that they themselves had been, had been spared? And because of that, lived in a very small cell of a life? You see, impatience still imprisons the soul. And for that reason, I think God is quick to try to help us avoid it. He does more than just demand patience. He offers it to us. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, and it hangs there low for us to enjoy. Have you asked God to give you some fruit? And you say, well, I did once. And then I, what, grew impatient? I prayed over and over, Lord, I need to be more patient. I need to slow my roll. I need to, I need to calm down. I, I don't need to have such a, a hot burner. You understand that he's not going to grow impatient with you pleading and pleading. So ask him again and again and again if patience is something that you lack. Is a gift from God. And while you're praying, why don't you ask for understanding also? Patient people have great understanding, according to Proverbs 14 and verse 29. It's amazing after you hear the story, you have more patience for the individual telling it, right? Or how about this? You're riding down the road and you, you see this car in front of you and, and you're wondering why it, it keeps kind of slowing down and then speeding up and, and slowing down and, and speeding up and you get real close to it. You notice there's this bumper sticker that's on the back and it says student driver, right? I mean, that, that's a nice little sticker they put on the back of the cars because... It, you couldn't fit the bumper sticker that says, we have no idea where this vehicle is about to go. That, that just wouldn't fit on the bumper sticker. It would, it would take up the whole back end. But you see that bumper sticker and what do you say? Oh, okay, I understand, right? Student driver, I get it. And so you were more patient, right? You hear the story and you begin to change the way you yourself respond. I can remember sitting in church one Sunday, and I was sitting with the youth group like kids are over here, and I brought a friend with me that particular day. And we were sitting there, and we thought it'd be a great um, thing to, um, to race to see who could get to a certain song quick enough. This was back when you used something called books to sing from, all right? And so... And so the song leader would call out the number, and then we would proceed to race through the pages as quick as we could to see who could get there. And then when we got there, did our little dance in the pew because we had got it right, and we'd gotten there. And I just happened that particular day to look over my shoulder, and I saw my father. And he was setting off to, to my right, and about, I don't know, 10 rows further back, and, and I'm kind of 
catching eye contact with him, and, and he was sitting there going, and I thought, he needs to slow his roll, you know? I mean, I don't know what he's getting so impatient about here. I mean, church isn't close to being over, and I don't know why he wants to talk to me, but, you know, I, I thought that, um, you know, being the good son that I was, that perhaps there was a problem, and I needed to help out he or my mother in some way, and so I got up from the seat that I was sitting, and, and I walked back, and I, I leaned over, and as I started to lean over, my dad stood up and moved over and made me a seat, and, and so I, I sat down, right between my mother and father, as my friend sat up with the teenagers. And I began to, to try to explain, and I began to say how that I was helping this, this young heathen try to find the Lord. And we were singing songs of praise, and I wanted him to be part of that, and I wanted him to enjoy the singing and, and not be lost trying to find the numbers. And so we were trying to get to the songs as quickly as possible so I could point out the scripture behind the words. And, and I, I, I tried to give all kinds of understanding, and he didn't buy it. And that burner kept getting turned up more and more and more. Moms and dads, have you been there? Husbands and wives, have, have you been there? But isn't it amazing, though, how that when you do hear the story, when you do begin to understand more what's taking place in the life, perhaps, of that, that waiter or waitress that's having a hard time at your table, or the individual that you just ran upon that is for some reason taking their own sweet, slow time on the highway. If you were ever to hear that story, if you were able to understand, maybe it would change the way in which you related. And so here's the thing. If you'd like to understand, or if you'd like to receive more patience in your life, then begin asking to hear more stories. Ask to hear more stories. Ask those individuals whom are turning up the heat dial in your life. Ask them what's going on in their life. Talk to them about their marriage. Ask them about their children. Talk to them about the doctor visit that they just had. Ask them about their ailing parents that they're trying to take care of. Talk to them about things that are going on in church. Because when you get understanding, all of a sudden, according to Proverbs 11 and verse 12, that a man of understanding holds his tongue. It's amazing how that the more that you know, the less you say. A man of understanding, Proverbs 17 and verse 27 says, is even-tempered. Don't miss the connection between understanding and patience. Before you blow up, listen up. Before you strike out, begin to tune in. Because before anything else, love is patient. It's patient. And so why is that? Why before any of the other things, why is love patient? I guess it's because God knows your story. God knows your story. And because God knows your story, He is understanding with you. And He is patient with you. Don't believe me? That's what Peter wrote to the church. He said, God is patient. 
He says, God is being patient with you. The question was asked, where is God and where is Christ and why hasn't he returned and why hasn't all this ended? And Peter's response is, listen, God isn't slow. God isn't off doing something on one end of the universe and he forgot what was happening here that he hasn't returned. He hasn't forgotten what's going on in your life. See, he's not slow like you people think. Instead, he's patient because he is not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. See, we sang the song earlier about love lifted me. We've joked about that song before because at the very beginning it says, I was sinking deep in sin. And yet you read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 and it talks about how that we were not sinking deep in sin. We had already drowned deep in sin. We weren't sinking and we weren't hoping that somebody was going to come along and throw out a lifeline. Scripture says you were dead. There's a debt that you couldn't pay. Your sin had so missed the mark that you were separated from God. Paul would write to the church in Rome and he would say that you are actually the enemies of God. But God's patient with you. And he's not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. And so because God is patient, he opened the doorway through which mercy walks. And mercy walked to the cross. And mercy took his place between heaven and earth. And mercy took upon himself our sin and our iniquity and our shame and our debt. And mercy was buried. And mercy walked out of the tomb. Because God is patient. And if you have experienced that patience, if you are someone who has been freed from your sin, if you are someone whose debt has been paid because of the faith that you have in mercy in Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness that comes as you had that sin washed off of you in baptism, if you are someone who has experienced what it means to say, please, be patient with me. And hear the King of Kings say your debt is covered. Then shouldn't you also love one another? You want to start? Then show some patience. Slow your roll as together we stand and sing.